Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. You are listening to episode 15 of Star Wars Bookworms, your source for discussion and reviews of the all-new Star Wars releases from Dark Horse Comics and Delray Books. I am your host, Teresa Delgado, and as always, I'm joined by my amazing co-host, Aaron Goins. Amazing? Wow. Amazing! You are amazing. Well, it has been too long. It's been about a month since we uh, recorded an episode, so I'm really happy to be talking to you tonight and uh, getting to talk about some comics. I know, it's been a while, and I, we probably, I think I read these now a couple of times since it's been so long. Yeah, the one we're reviewing today, the Dawn of the Jedi, actually came out in July, so we're getting a little behind on the release schedule, but I think we're, we're set to catch up uh, with a couple episodes this month. But on today's episode, we actually have a guest, as per usual, and today's guest is Megan from Fangirl Blog, Knight's Archive, and Blog Full of Words. She writes for many places. How are you doing today, Megan? Hi, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. So, I hear, is it your first podcast appearance? Yes, this is my debut. Nice. We get well, to debut the great Megan from, <laughs> from all these sites. It's awesome okay. to have you on. I actually got to, I had the privilege of meeting Megan in person, um, at New York Comic Con, which we'll be talking about a little bit later, but it was kind of cool to get to. You know, I've been following her on Twitter for a while and following some of her blog stuff, so it was cool to to meet her in person. It was cool to meet you too. We had dinner uh, Friday and Saturday, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Once on purpose, once on accident, but yes. we <laughs> we could talk about that in a little bit. But before we do, what are we covering in today's episode, Teresa? Well, on today's episode, we're going to be all comics. So we're covering Dawn of the Jedi Volume 2, The Prisoner of Bogan, and Star Wars Volume 1, In the Shadow of Yavin. As always, here is our spoiler policy. We typically wait at least a month after the release date to review a book or a comic, and in this case, several. If we are reviewing it, then you can expect full spoilers. So if you haven't read either of these two when we get to that part of the show... That would be the time to push pause, go read, and then come back. So Aaron and Megan both got a chance to go to New York Comic Con. I did not. I am the I'm gonna I'm going to call myself a loser right here because you don't even know how much I wanted to be there. And then Aaron starts posting pictures and I became very social media jealous, or as Riley Blanton would say, Twitter jealous. So guys, what was New York Comic Con like this year? Was it I know, Aaron, you go every year, right? Uh, starting last year, but yes, from, okay. from now on, I do plan to go every year. So I went, th- that was my, uh, this, this one would have been my second. Okay, and Megan, have you been to New York Comic Con before? Yes, I've gone three or four times so far. Um, I skipped 2012, but 2013 was, I think, my fourth time. And you're local to that area, am I correct? Yeah, basically. Cool. So that that convention's definitely getting a lot bigger, it, from what I can tell. Um, and I guess since you've been going for the past few years, you you'd probably be better a better person to ask that. But it seems like it's getting a lot more media attention. Yeah, it has getting bigger. I mean, physically, it's expanded. In 2012, I think was the first year they moved the artist alley into a completely different room from everything else. 
And the artist alley was massive. In 2011, it, they had what I thought was a bit of a crowding problem. There were a lot of sort of log jams, and you could tell there were a ton of people in there. Um, this year, it was bigger, but I also felt they had less trouble with traffic. So it was, it they handled it well. Alrighty, so there was some definite EU presence at New York Comic Con. So tell us a little bit about the Delray booth and what they had to showcase there. The Delray booth actually was not very big. It was kind of like an entire area of different um, publishers that had booths. So Delray or Random House had like a few booths across uh, an area, but then only one of the very small booths was was for Delray. Um, but the the booth was cool. It had some, you know, different novel cover art. They had a little case there with the different novels that have either recently come out or coming out soon. But it was pretty small. I got a chance to talk to the different guys that were there, like Arish and um, a couple other people that work for Delray Books that were there. So they were really kind and, you know, introducing me to some of the authors if they happened to be around. John Jackson Miller did a signing there, so I got to meet him uh, briefly there and get him to autograph a couple of my books. Um, a couple of uh, J.W. Rinsler was there. Um, so yeah, there was a lot, a lot going on. The, the booth was always pretty packed. There was always a line, you know, waiting for the, the, uh, autographs for the authors. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool area to hang out. Did John Jackson Miller recognize you when you told him who you were? I did. When I said that I was from Star Wars Bookworms, he did. He didn't recognize me by face. I had right. met him in person before. Um, but he did recognize the the podcast since we had recently interviewed him. So, and he had good things to say about us, and definitely said he would come back on. So hopefully we can reach out to him and have him back on soon. Did you awesome. Get, did you get a chance to visit the booth, Megan? I was I was a bad blogger and didn't get to see the booth. Um, I was at I think it's DK. You know. Yeah. That, yeah, they had. I was over there seeing Ashley Eckstein. And I met Ryder Wyndham over there, which was cool because I hadn't expected to run into him. Um, but I didn't spend as much time at the Delray booth as I spent there. Um, one thing that was exciting about the Delray booth for me was that they had the uh, addition of Lockdown where you could see both covers. And I hadn't seen the back cover before. Yep. So that was cool. Trisha actually tweeted that to me on like Friday because she knew I'd be excited about that. That's cool. So is uh, do you like Darth Maul a lot, Megan? Yeah, he's always been one of like the things that I focus on in Star Wars. I just thought his character was really cool, and they were doing all this with Clone Wars for him now, so he's in the fandom's mind now, I think. Um, so I'm really excited for that book to come out in January. Well, that's something that we actually share. So uh, my love for Darth Maul runs deep. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, that's cool. We, there's a little group, Linda from Fangirl Blog likes him too, so I think that's cool. And I, um, Friday night, I got to talk to Frank Parisi about his work on that book, um, and about how they wrote some of the fight scenes in it, which was awesome, because I'm, like, I love that stuff, and how they write martial arts in this sci-fi environment, so that was really cool. Was that when we were out at dinner? Yeah, I don't know if, um... No, you were sort of at the other end of the table, but toward the end, I was talking to him about that. I think I did overhear a little bit of it, but I was far enough on the end of the table that I was 
kind of stuck talking to who was down on that end, and I didn't get to hear a lot of what you guys were talking about on that side. But I definitely sort of. But John Jackson Miller, we we actually, uh, me and Megan got to go out with a group of people from Delray, and some of the authors were there as well, and we got to hang out with them, which was kind of cool. And John Jackson Miller came down to my end of the table, um, kind of as the dinner was winding down, and then me and my brother was with me. Um, literally just got to talk to him for I don't know how long it was, but just kind of pick his brain about all kinds of things about the books that he's written and the future of the expanded universe. And it was kind of like this this moment where you were like, man, am I really doing this? Am I sitting across from John Jackson Miller right now just hanging out, having dinner? So it was definitely really cool. Yeah, I'm not jealous of you at all. Yeah, right we're, now. I'm totally yeah. trying to make you jealous right now. <laughs> I'm jealous of myself. <laughs> so was there anything from the Dark Horse panel that you guys found interesting or exciting for the coming year i don't know did you go to that panel megan i didn't i heard a little bit about it on twitter but i did not attend it okay yeah i was in that panel um pretty much they just were talking about just future issues of the known you know comic lines that they have out right now um nothing groundbreaking they did announce that they're going to be there's going to be another mini series coming out that is set in the original trilogy era but they didn't really give any details other than the writer, which I'm blanking on the name right now. And it wasn't anybody that I recognized. But So there really wasn't a lot that came out of the Dark Horse panel. Most of what they talked about was other comic series that they do that are non-Star Wars. And the little Star Wars they talked about just wasn't any new news. Well, there was also a Rebels panel, correct? Did you guys go to that? I was watching from the Twitterverse again. Um, Were you even at New York Comic Con, Megan? <laughs> I was. I was. I was there on Sunday. I didn't do very well in terms of getting tickets this year, so I was there Sunday. Saturday, I was sitting on a wall outside watching Twitter fervently. So. Oh, but you were actually outside of the convention center. Yeah, I was physically present. I just couldn't get in. Oh, you should have totally. You should have told me because I was working at a booth and we had extra badges. Ah. Uh, you gotta, you gotta work your contacts. Yeah, <laughs> I totally well, no, could have you fun. in. What booth were you working? I was working a booth uh, called Acid Free Gallery. A friend of mine owns a company that does like fine art prints for Hasbro. So they sell like GI Joe and uh, Transformers, like like limited edition prints, which are really awesome. Uh, I've been working for him the past couple years. That's how I've. That's why I've been going to New York Comic Con because of him. So there's a little plug for his business if anybody wants to look up that website. But yeah, so that's, you know, kind of how I got into the into going to that convention. I'm glad that I did because it's it's one of my favorites to go to now. But back to the Rebels panel. I actually did get get in. Um I don't I I think a lot of our listeners or I know you guys are probably familiar with Amy Geek from Twitter. Mhm. Mhm. Um she I was I was at the convention. I knew she was there and then like Bonnie Burton was there. Um, Matt, um, Martin, right? Matt yeah, Martin. Matt Martin. He was there. So I basically, I had heard that there was the uh, VIP tickets to get into the rebels panel. And so I was trying to work my contacts because I know some of these people and I was thinking, Oh, if I could get one of these VIP tickets, but luckily Amy, um, had an extra one. So she gave me her extra one. So I actually got in with that, that group of people and sat right on the front row of the rebels panel which was why I was able to get such good pictures for that all the stuff I was posting on Twitter because I was literally sitting right in front of the screen. So that panel was really good. Yeah, it was it was really cool. 
Um, are you are you done tooting your own horn now? No, how no, awesome I, you actually, are. Um, I was hanging out with Ashley Eckstein right before the panel, and then we were hanging out after. No, <laughs> yeah, I'm done. <laughs> so, what were some key elements that were revealed in Rebels that we that are from the EU that you noticed? Well, that yeah, so that was what kind of surprised me with the whole panel. Um, the big news to me was that some of the elements that they introduced um, were very EU heavy, specifically the Inquisitor that they announced as the main villain. You know that you know that type of character, the Inquisitors, is very much an EU element. Uh, so the fact that the main villain in the show is going to be something like that, I thought that was pretty interesting. I didn't think that they would go that way and uh, lean that heavy on an EU element. Are you guys familiar with the the Inquisitors from the Expanded Universe? Have you read stuff with them in it? Yeah, um, I know that they're from, um, like, a source book originally, right? Um, I'm not sure where the first time that they were mentioned. I'm sure Wikipedia could tell us. Yeah, um, <laughs> I could be wrong about that. I but know that, that... You could be right about that, though. I know <laughs> that a lot has been done in, like, the Wizards of the Coast stuff that was... Mm -hmm. The Inquisitors, so you definitely could be right about that. I feel like there's always that sort of character. The thing that it reminded me of was in the um, the Coruscant Knights series and in the Last Jedi. They have they usually have this dark side character who's hounding the Jedi, and that is, that element is so um, it's always been in the EU. Like you have to have somebody hunting down the Jedi. So I think it's cool that they put that in Rebels. I not that I'd assumed it was going to be in there, but it seems like a really natural fit for that era. Definitely. Yeah, it definitely works. It, it piqued my interest because I know I was kind of thinking, okay, the show is going to be about, you know, this group of teenagers. There's probably not going to be any Jedi, you know, and I was kind of thinking, oh, I'll, I'll watch it, but I wasn't super excited for it. But now that they've kind of introduced this element, a Force user, dark side Force user, you know, which probably means there will be some sort of a Jedi character for him to hunt down, um, definitely got me more excited for the show. I was one of those people who got really excited when the Rebels teaser trailer said the Jedi will rise and thought, oh, cool, there's going to be Force-using characters. And then um, when Matt Martin said that doesn't really mean anything, I wasn't sure what to think. Yeah, exactly. Like at dinner the night before when we had, um, I guess you were probably sitting, when you were sitting right next to me, weren't you? Yeah, I was just to the right of you. Yeah, um, so when we were talking to Matt about that, um, Matt Martin from Lucasfilm, we were trying to pick his brain about the of that yep. teaser trailer. And he said he was actually sitting in on some of the meetings uh, where they were talking about the this teaser trailer. And he said, don't get too excited about that whole line about the rise of the Jedi. And I think he was just trying to throw us off. Probably, I don't know which, at this point. He successfully confused me. Yeah, I was so. like, oh, I really thought, okay, there's not going to be any Jedi. And then in the very next, you know, the very next day when we go to that panel, it's like all of a sudden they announce that there's this Inquisitor that's hunting Jedi. So Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if there's going to be a, a big Jedi presence or if it's just maybe one character that'll show up shortly and then kind of go away. We'll see. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see one major Jedi character as like a mentor yeah, and who knows if that character could even be somebody like Ahsoka. I know a lot of people are hoping for that. I'm not counting on it, but I don't think it's impossible for something like that. No, I think that especially with um, she's a fan favorite, 
Dave Filoni likes her, I would be surprised if she didn't show up at some point. But I don't think she's going to be the main Jedi. Um, right. I think that maybe she'll come back as a an event. But not right, sure. Yeah. We'll see. Maybe a season finale or something. Yeah. Yeah. And in between that, there could be other instances of Jedi, other people for the Inquisitor to have a lightsaber fight with besides Ahsoka. The other EU element that I thought was interesting about him is that it's his species, that he is a Powan. Because um, the last time we saw them was in episode three, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they've shown up. They haven't shown up prominently anywhere in the EU. I'm sure maybe there's been a character here and there. I didn't even pick up on it until somebody else pointed it out that that he looked like the character from episode three. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. He's definitely He's definitely of that species, but... Yeah, Vis- I didn't visually know. I didn't pick up on it right away. No, somebody on the internet had to point it out. But they, um, they look human enough, and it almost seems like they kind of toned down some of the the elongation of the face that you know in the the character in episode three had. Yeah. It seemed like they kind of toned that down to make him look even more human. So I definitely yeah. didn't, I didn't notice. I didn't recognize it. Well, was there anything else that? happened at New York Comic Con that stuck out to you or was that pretty much it? Um, I did a lot of walking around New York Comic Con. I saw a lot of really cool artists. I got to see Karina Bechko who does who works on the legacy comics. Um that was that was really cool because I like her uh, her comics a lot. Um the yeah, Rebels was the big thing. Um Teresa got me um, sorry, Trisha got me one of the pins from the Rebels channel, so I could check out that Sinar Fleet Systems website. Um, and that's a cool little, I don't even want to call it merchandising, it's like a cool um, way to immerse yourself in that universe, to have those realistic advertisements for the for the Empire. Yeah, definitely. And that's another, you know, that other EU element that they kind of threw at us. Yeah. Which is a good, good sign that they're going to be at least giving us some some good nods to us EU fans. Yeah, and I, I like that. Was there anything else about Rebels that you specifically wanted to talk about? Well, I mean, everybody's talking about the fact that the Inquisitor looks so much like the Sun and you know, from the Clone Wars. And while I love that they have an Inquisitor, I don't like that he looks like that. I think that for the first design for them to show, it should have been something more unique i think yeah that's true and you almost wonder if they're if it's almost too close yeah you wonder if there's a purposeful reason that they did that and then maybe in some way it'll tie in eventually and we'll kind of understand why they went that direction with it because you're right it does you would think they would have tried to go with a completely different design yeah and i hope i do i almost hope that there's a purposeful reason for that because if it was just like oh it happens, they happen to look the same, that wouldn't be as plausible. But on the other hand, I didn't love the whole, um, the, the son and the daughter plot in the Clone Wars, so I'm, I'm kind of ready to be done with that. Yeah, that think... was, that was one of those plot lines that I really liked the first episode of it, mm-hmm. and really liked where they were going with it, and then as it kind of went on, I was like, uh, this is getting really weird. <laughs> yeah. And like, some of the, some of the things that they were setting like the standards they were setting it's like okay we're really starting to define the force more than i was hoping to 
And that's kind of where I started to sour on that storyline. And then it obviously bled into the novels, which I think was interesting, but maybe not the best idea. Yeah, I think they're they're towing a line between explaining things about the Force and just making the Force weirder. That I yeah. think is a very thin line. Yeah, um, which anyone that's read Crucible understands what, exactly what you mean. Yeah, and especially... Now we're way off topic, but... Yeah, that's fine. That's what we do. Okay. Um, especially Crucible, I didn't feel that it explained much. It just upped the weird. And I would be fine. Like, I'm not totally against the idea of explaining the Force in some way. If, like, if it's an interesting backstory... Um, Legend of Korra recently did a really interesting backstory for their whole, like, system of magic. It is possible to do it well and not lose the the mystery of it yeah and but, not to get sidetracked even further but <laughs> that i i also watch legend of Korra, and i thought that that avatar was way more interesting than Korra is yeah it's just, but I, I won't rant too much about that but yeah that that would be way off topic way but, off topic off yeah. topic but since you know since i just discovered a fellow Korra fan i can at least uh yeah talk to you about that really quickly but i'm glad i was actually that the two-parter um reminded me a lot in terms of what it was meant to do for the story of that arc in the Clone Wars with the ones. Yeah. Um, but I felt that, like, the first Avatar had a lot of charisma, the, the creature designs and the fights were gorgeous in those episodes. They, they justified themselves a lot, whereas the Clone Wars episodes, not that they fell out of place, but they... They brought up more questions than they answered. Um, I would love to just, like, compare those two arcs. And we can have a whole talk about that. But <laughs> Yeah, and I think that they they probably had plans to do other things with the Mortis stuff. And then we That's just never true. saw it because the show got canceled too early. Yeah. So I think there was probably more coming. that, And I think even Filoni or somebody on the production team at some point did say that, that there would be more tying in with that. So sadly, we may never find out what they intended to be, you know, kind of how that all was going to wrap up. And then Crucible is another piece of that puzzle. So I wonder whether any of it will come into Rebels as well. Uh, we'll move on past New York Comic Con. And let's move. We did get a little bit of listener feedback. Um, and we actually got a listener who sent us an email. And he was wondering... What got us into the EU? Why and when did we start reading the Expanded Universe? And I thought that was a good question, uh, so I wanted to kind of explore that. Um, so me and you can give our answers, Megan, and then hopefully by the time we're done, Teresa will be back and she can jump in this as well. Okay. Um, so we'll start with you, though, Megan. Why did you start reading the EU? When was that? And what was like the first book or comic that you picked up? Well, I had to go back and look this up when I knew that we were going to be talking about that on the podcast because the thing that I first read in the EU was a really strange place to start in the EU. Um, after I saw... Okay, Attack of the Clones was the first Star Wars movie I ever saw. Um, and I instantly loved it, and I wanted to get whatever other material went with it, so I picked up a copy of Star Wars Insider. And it was... 2002, it was Insider 63, which because I, I looked it up, and the story was, I think, part five of a six-part short 
like novella called Emissary of the Void set in the New Jedi Order. And if you know anything about the EU, you know that watching Attack of the Clones is not appropriate preparation for the New Jedi Order. They're just, they have nothing in common. And so I read this weird little short story, and because it was part five, it ends with the characters, like, falling into a black hole. And it was the strangest little story, but I liked it because it it just threw me into Star Wars. I had no learning curve at all. It was just like, here's all this weird organic ships and stuff. Um, and then I started reading more normal material and... Like, probably, even now, everybody recommends the Timothy Zahn stuff. So I read Timothy Zahn books. Um, I read the Jedi Academy trilogy, which I loved. And then, at that point, I sort of started finding my feet and knowing what I was looking at when I looked at the EU. But it was uh, Emissary of the Void Part 5 first. Wow, I totally did not expect you to go with an insider-exclusive story. Yeah. That's it, pretty interesting. I think we went to the grocery store after we went to the movies, and I found it there. <laughs> that's that's pretty cool, though. It, it was. I think it was a good, a good way to get into it. Well, for me, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before. I think I've at least mentioned that the first thing I ever read was um, The Courtship of Princess Leia. Huh. So that was kind of a probably a weird place to jump in as well. I don't think anybody would recommend that as your first novel. In fact, I know a number of people that would not even recommend reading that novel. But I have very, you know, I liked it at the time. Um, so it's nostalgic for me. So I actually still hold that novel in high regard, although others think it's one of the worst. But I, I thought it was kind of cool. Had you seen all the movies at that point? Um, well, up to that point, the only movies that had been released were the original trilogy. I, I started okay. reading um, in the late 90s. Uh, with the re-release of the, the original trilogy is kind of where my fandom started. So huh. I really got into Star Wars with the re-release in the late 90s, started reading the EU because I was getting so into the movies, I needed to know like more about the story. And so I basically went to my local library and looked up on the computer you know, anything with Star Wars in the title. And that just happened to be the first book that I got was Courtship of Princess Leia, read it, and then realized, oh, there's stuff that probably happened before this, you know. So I went online and found, like, a timeline and got really into it, you know, printed out the timeline and yeah. <laughs> made sure I read everything in order. So, you know, of course, I jumped back in time and read uh, Truce of Bakura since that was the first book that came after Return of the Jedi and then just went in order from there. And slowly caught up, and you know that's you know that's kind of what got me into the EU was wanting to know more about the story of Luke Skywalker, and finding out that all these books were out there, and I was like, oh man, like I didn't even know this stuff was out there. So to me, those held as much power or as much canon level as the movies did. To me, it was all just one big story, and that's kind of why I've always kind of kept that opinion throughout, because that's that's just how I fell in love with Star Wars because of the the expansiveness of the expanded universe. Yeah, I agree. It always felt like one big thing. Um, and now I'm I'm remembering getting, like, Teresa Bakura from the library and getting the Crystal Star from the library when I didn't know what book was what, but I just wanted more from that universe. Okay, Megan, so this is a question I like to ask 
pretty much any kind of what the people I would consider like the diehard expanded universe fans, which I think you fall into that. Uh, I don't know you that well, but just from the few times I've talked to you, I think you would kind of fall under the, the more diehard expanded universe fans. Would you consider yourself that? I've, I've read a lot. Okay. I, yeah, I haven't read everything, but I've read a lot. Well, I, I'm curious to, to hear what your take is as far as the future of the expanded universe and kind of where you hope to see it go. The with the new films coming out, obviously we really don't know. Most likely, they're not going to follow anything that we already know. So, are you kind of hoping that it's more like of a reboot type thing that happens, or maybe a multi multiverse take on it? Like, what what is your kind of best case scenario? Uh, well, see, I feel like everybody's best case scenario is basically like, okay, use this EU stuff that I like. And throw out this EU stuff that I don't like, and that's the like that's the easy answer. Um, my long answer is I don't I doubt they're gonna use EU stuff. There's just no place to fit movies in in that timeline and keep it all canon. Um, the one thing that I think the movies would be remiss to leave out is Luke's Jedi Academy. First of all, because I love that era. I love the idea of, like, a Jedi school. And I think it follows very naturally. Like, of course Luke is going to bring in more Jedi. Um, it doesn't have to have everything from the EU. I mean, I don't think Kip Duran is going to show up. Like, But I would really like to see a Jedi Academy. And maybe students could be new characters. And we could go on from there. Okay. So you, you, it sounds like you have a pretty optimistic view um, not doom and gloom, right? No, certainly not doom and gloom. A little bit of skepticism, but I'm very much wait and see at this point. So once they do, the movies come out, and let's just assume that what's going to happen is the story is going to be completely different than what we know. You know, Thrawn trilogy, Jedi Academy trilogy, all that stuff is going to no longer be the story that we, you know, no longer the main canon, I guess you could say, for what happens after Return of the Jedi. At that point, do you hope that they kind of just split it and say, all right, the movies are one story, the other stuff happened in a multi, you know, a different universe, and kind of keep going with the stories in the EU with Ben and Jaina and Alana and those characters, or are you kind of hoping they just focus more on the movies and cut off the EU where it ended with something like Crucible? I'm of two minds about that. I, I would I would like them to go the sort of Marvel route where they have alternate universes and keep doing other novels. I like Jaina. You know, I like, well, I sort of like what they're doing with Luke in the EU. <laughs> um, I would, I'd like to see them as two separate continuities that develop parallel to each other. Um, that's probably optimistic because they they're going to concentrate their marketing on one thing and it's going to be the movie but ideally i'd like to see them do a marvel style parallel continuity does that answer the question definitely yeah i'm kind of with you i'm of two minds as well part of me wants them to not do the multiverse just because i feel like that can open a lot of that can open a whole big thing where it's like oh suddenly we have this multiverse so now we can have you know, six or seven different timelines all going at the same time, and I don't want that clutter. No, that'd be a bit of a mess. But if they can really focus in and say, okay, we have this timeline that's focused on the way the movies is going, and this timeline that continues the story from the current EU 
and leave it as like two separate timelines that are very solid, I would be okay with that. Yeah, so, I think that's the best case scenario. I would like that. So we'll see. I'm I'm excited, you know, obviously for the movies to come out. So I'm going to roll with whatever they decide to do. I'm not going to just turn my back on it if they don't do what I want them to do kind of thing. No, I, that, I'm sure there'll be things I don't like about it. A little things, but it's more Star Wars. I'm happy that they're making them. Definitely. Yeah. Well, uh, Teresa actually had to drop out for the, for the listeners that have wondered why she hasn't said anything in a while. She had something come up. Um, she had to drop out, so we're going to continue um, on without her, and hopefully maybe she'll be able to jump back in uh, later, but uh, she may not be able to come back for the rest of this episode. But me and Megan are going to uh, go ahead with the reviews. Um, before we jump into the, the reviews of the comics that we're going to review today, there were a couple releases that came out from Del Rey that we it, we didn't skip them, but I just wanted to mention them and let you guys know that we will be covering them in future episodes, but right now, just with the schedule as packed as it is with releases, uh, we weren't able to fit these in, but the kind of the more reference-type books, uh, Death Star Owner's Manual and The Making of the Return of the Jedi, um, have both come out recently. So I just wanted to mention the mention that to you listeners that we will be kind of coming back to those in future episodes. It might not be, you know, even in the next couple months, we might save those for the lighter schedule that it seems like is coming up uh, for book releases in 2014. So we might save those kind of filling filling in uh, lighter months. So we will be covering those in more detail uh, eventually. Uh, did you have a chance to to read those at all, Megan? I've read the Death Star Owner's Manual, or at least parts of it. I have not read Making of Return of the Jedi. Okay. Yeah, and Making of Return of the Jedi is not cheap if you're buying the yeah. hard copy. So <laughs> that's definitely one that, you know, I think not a lot of people probably went out and bought that on release day. It's kind of like putting it on your Christmas wish list maybe. Mm-hmm. So I don't think people will mind if we hold off on reviewing that one because I don't think too many people probably have it in their hands yet. But a lot of the uh, the ebook version of that has been making a lot of news lately, just because of all the bonus content that they that they included in there with like behind the scenes videos and stuff like that that wasn't in the the hard copy. So I'm kind of excited to check that out. I haven't had a chance to yet, but and that's definitely a cheaper option. I think it's only like twelve dollars, you know, the ebook version. So if you can't afford to go out and buy the hard copy, uh, you can definitely grab the the ebook version. And you you probably even get more content than you would in the hard copy. So let's go ahead and move into our reviews. Uh, the first review that we're going to do is Dawn of the Jedi Prisoner of Bogan. That's the second volume of the Dawn of the Jedi comics. Uh, this one was released back in July, July 24, 2013. Uh, so we, as you can tell, it's now November. So we're, you know, this is one that we, we didn't skip it, but we kind of got bogged down with some other releases that were coming out in we, uh, we're coming back to this one. We definitely didn't want to forget about it. Um, so this one, it was the writer's John Ostrander, artist Jan Durisma. And the timeline for this one is 25,793 years before the Battle of Yavin. So that's a very specific date there. And the publisher's summary, Zesh, a mysterious alien warrior, is enthralled with the madman Dagon Locke and his obsession with conquering known space. Hunter teams are dispatched by the Jedi to stop Locke and save the misguided Zesh. But they're not alone. Zesh's former masters have sent their own hunter with orders to kill. Uh, so that's the publisher summary. Earlier when we were talking offline, Megan, you had said that you didn't actually read the first volume of this. Is that right? No, I kind of cheated. Um, 
first thing in this era I read was Into the Void, and then I skipped to Volume 2 of the comic. Okay. How did you like Into the Void? I That was one of my favorite Star Wars novels of this year. I liked it a lot. Um, and I even liked that they included a comic in it, so you could... Some of the some of the questions I had in the book were answered in the comic, um, so it was a good way, like a jumping off point, to get into the comics. But I really liked uh, Lannery and how that book was written. Yeah, I agree. That was actually, I think it, thinking back at the releases of 2013, I think that one would probably rank number one for me. I really liked that one a lot. <laughs> my my list changes every day of what's number one, but that's I think that's two like on the list on my blog but that's it moves up to number one sometimes it was very good the prose was good so yeah so it it's definitely a cool time period to be in you know it's you know not very much has happened just basically what they have shown us in dawn of the jedi is all that we know of that era you know it's kind of an era on of it in itself um i forget what they call it the official name of that era it's like before the republic i think Let's see if I can find it real quick. But yeah, yeah, before the Republic. Before the Republic. So it got its own era. So it's awesome that they have this much time to play with. So there's an unknown element. We don't know what's going to happen to these characters. Um, and they definitely don't tie in with anything that we know in the current expanded universe. So it's not like we're leading up to any... I mean, I guess there are some events that we're aware of that happened in that time period. But there's no, like, character deaths that we know are going to happen. You know, pretty much all the fate, the fate of all of these characters is still unknown, which I think is exciting for when you read these comics. Yeah, that is kind of refreshing after a lot of books that work with established characters. Right. You don't know who's going to die. So, overall, um, are you enjoying, it sounds like you like the, the novel, so did you, did you enjoy the comics at, as compared to the novel? Did you think they, they lived up to... Uh, how good the novel was? Um, I did like the book better than the comic. Um, but it's a it's a cool era. I don't think it's going to be like one of my favorite eras in general. I thought it did some of the things that the book did in terms of setting up this ancient world. And um, yeah, but I think in total I liked the book better. I liked the characters in the book better. Yeah, I agree, and I think one of the things I don't like about these comics, and I do like these comics, I, I'll get that yeah, out there. Yeah, it was I, enjoyable. I do like these comics. I think they're, I think they're really cool. The designs, the, you know, just the world that they're building, I really am getting into. So I do like them. But some mm-hmm. of the things I don't like about it, I feel like there's too many characters to follow. Like in the novel, it was you had Lenore and you had her Twilight friend, which I can't remember his name. I think Trey. Trey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. You know, you're following those two characters through a novel, and it was very easy to kind of know who's who and what's going on. And the comics aren't like that at all. It's, you have kind of a core cast of characters, but then there's so many characters beyond that that I start to lose track of, like, who's doing what. Um, Did you find that a problem at all, or did that not bother you? Um, I... I did feel that I wanted more about some characters. I didn't have... It's, one of the benefits of the comic medium is that it's easy to tell people apart because you can see them and you can tell who's hanging out with who very easily. But there were a lot of relationships in the book that I want... or in the comic that I wanted to be more established. Um, 
the three, it seemed in the beginning that they were going to set up Shay, Tasha, and Seknos as, like, three good friends. But they sort of tossed Tasha out, and she didn't have much to do with the story. And I didn't get, like, the sense of camaraderie from those three that I wanted. Um, again, it seemed like there were relationships in the background characters that I would have liked a little to spend a little more time with them. So I don't think there were too many characters. I just think that they needed more they needed more time to tell the story of all these characters. Yeah, they're definitely doing a lot of world building. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that I think for me personally, I enjoy stories that are more focused on a couple characters instead of having these large casts. But most of the characters that they've given us are at least interesting. You were saying that they kind of have not been focusing as much on Tasha, and I, I actually kind of like that. I felt like she was the least interesting of the characters that they initially introduced, and I think maybe the writers even kind of got that feeling. And so now they're kind of focusing more on, you know, it seems like Shay and Seknos are definitely main characters, but then beyond that, it's almost more Zesh is kind of like now a main character that is is going to be the focus, and they're doing less on some of these other characters that they introduced at the beginning. Yeah, it, this was definitely Zesh and Shay's story, I think. Um, I wasn't as interested in Seknos. I don't know if I missed something in the first comic, but he just didn't seem as... I didn't get the, like, why they were friends, basically. Besides yeah. Besides that they were... They it almost the seems like classes. there's a little bit of a love triangle forming in there where you have (laughs) Seknos kind of he seems to like Shay and then Zesh seems to like Shay but then Shay doesn't really know who she likes so and then Seknos likes Trill also well yeah that's true yeah (laughs) she saved his life and so yeah it's interesting I don't usually care about that kind of stuff I'm just you know I don't get into that that side of things you know, who's, you know, I'm not a shipper or whatever you call it. <laughs> but I did I did kind of like the relationship that they're they're doing between Zesh and Shay. I think some of the elements or some of the things that happen between them is funny. <laughs> you know, the part where um, at the beginning of the comic, they have a scene where he's kind of, he's on Bogan and then he's thinking about her. And he's totally crushing on her, in my opinion, yeah. <laughs> you know, because he's like, I don't know what these feelings are. It's like, come on, dude, you know, <laughs> you're crushing on her. That's what the feelings are. <laughs> but I think he, he grew up in a very sheltered, it seems like a sheltered kind of existence. So maybe he's never had the opportunity to really even talk to a girl in that way. So now it's kind of these new feelings that he's having. I thought it was kind of funny. I, I don't know. I definitely got a young adult vibe from this comic, which was, I realized that was sort of strange because I don't think it's really marketed for young adults and I think the characters I don't know how old do you think they were because they sort of acted like teenagers sometimes but they look like they're in their 20s yeah that's I get the feeling that they're in their 20s that's kind Mm -hmm. of just the art the way they look I I get the feeling that most of the characters are in their 20s except for like the masters or like Dagan Locke obviously is older but most of the core characters seem like they're supposed to be in their 20s the, the love triangle thing was a little much for me in this one. I I do, like, I tend to be interested in relationships, not even necessarily romantic ones. Like, I tend to care about characters. Um, but I didn't, the, Zash and Shay just didn't really do it for me. And I think that part of it is that, especially at the end of the comic, he, like, kidnaps her, and then <laughs> you don't see her react to that at all. She sort of gets 
Didn't um, he do some kind of mind trick on her though? Yeah. He um yeah. she's like caught in like sort of a coma for a while. Right. Yeah. I so, thought it was funny when he like he's fighting her or whatever and then she falls down that chasm or whatever into the I think she fell into water. Yeah. And then he dives after her, like kinda like he couldn't control himself. He's like, I don't know why I'm saving this girl, but I am. It was, it was and then and then he like gives her mouth to mouth and yeah. she wakes up and she's like, Oh, Zash and then he goes, You're my prisoner You're now. You're my prisoner. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I laughed at that. I thought that was funny. I, because she was kinda like it was almost like, is this gonna become a romantic moment? You know, the way that they're positioned, he's laying you know, laying above her and their faces are close and then she's like, Zesh and then he's just like, You're my prisoner. <laughs> Yeah. So I got I got a chuckle out of that. I don't I don't know. I didn't No, you didn't you didn't buy into it as much as I did. Um no. <laughs> I fine. it was a little too much for me. Like Okay, yeah. Yeah. It was a little too young adulty. Not yeah. that that's necessarily always a bad thing, but I think because I like it's so far out of the characters in the comic, I I think my favorite is Shay. Mm-hmm. And then I like Zesh as well. I think he's kind of the focus character that they're trying to show a transition in, mm-hmm. you know, from the bad guy to the good guy. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like maybe I am shipping, but I kind of hope that those two are, do end up together. So uh, I guess I was kind of rooting for that. So since it's going that way, I'm like, yeah, you know, I got it right kind of thing. <laughs> Wait, I I get that. I think maybe, I don't know, maybe I missed something in the first comic, but I wanted them to be more friendly before the shipping started happening and like he kissed her but she was or he gave her mouth to mouth but she was unconscious like that's not that's not a relationship definitely definitely i agree (laughs) there were some things that happened in the first comic where there's like she's the only one that can use his force saber Mm -hmm. you know and so there there's some kind of a connection that they were alluding to um so even in the first comic you were you're kind of getting the beginnings of that so i think they're definitely building on stuff they established earlier I was actually, I was more interested in, like, the Force Saber stuff and her, um, her struggle with the dark side, excuse me, the dark side that they don't really consider the dark side. Um, I, yeah, I like that side of her story, of her sort of wondering whether, why she could use this anger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting when you see these characters, or, I mean, they're Jade, Jedi or Jedi or however you're supposed to yeah. pronounce it, yeah. but... They're obviously supposed to be the version of the Jedi, so we're used to seeing Jedi try to stay as far away from the dark side as possible. So to see these characters kind of like purposely using the dark side, like, oh yeah, I can turn this Force Saber on, all I have to do is, you know, use my dark side powers. Yeah. It's kind of weird. It's like, oh wow, that's that's kind of dangerous, but then you have to remember that, you know, they weren't necessarily believing yet that you need to stay away from the dark side. It was more about balance, so... She Except, had, didn't she have one of the masters cautioned her about that, I think? I think there was a line where it's kind of like you don't want to go too far into it. Mm-hmm. So, and I think as some of this stuff is happening, that um, we'll see more of that, that these Jedi are starting to get a little bit wary of using the dark side as much as they do. Oh, look, we have Teresa back. Hey, sorry about that. That's all right. Good to have you back. We were kind of... Uh, just in the middle of talking about the Dawn of the Jedi Volume 2 comics, and one of the interesting things we talked about was the relationship between Zesh and Shay. Um, I kind of liked it. I thought it was funny, kind of cute, and Megan was more like annoyed with the, the teen angst of it, I guess you could say. <laughs> <laughs> so, Teresa, 
uh, just to throw something at you right as you get back on. What did you think about that relationship? Um, I thought it was interesting. I mean, it's not something that I guess you could kind of see it developing, but it wasn't something I was really expecting to come from these particular comics, especially with the character Shay. She doesn't really seem like that would be something that would happen, but it didn't really bother me. So do you like so do you like the character of Shay and and Zesh? Do you like those characters individually, or are they not really your favorites? I like Zesh. I don't really like Shay. I feel like Shay as a character is sort of being like she's almost being pushed in the view of too stereotypically the strong female character. You know, especially in the in the first volume, you know, but um, she's just being pushed that direction, and it's almost so much that it's a little bit too much. Okay. You know, so I don't really like her character as much, and Aaron, I had been telling you that I got a chance to reread everything, um, and I did read um, volume two a couple of times, and so with the rereads, I was able to see things that I hadn't seen before, and I think I said in our first a review of the first volume that I actually did like her and that her outfit and stuff didn't bother me. But on reviewing it, like reading it again, um, I actually don't really like her. And her <laughs> outfit is something that is, I kind of am just looking at it going, really? It's, it's good that you bring that up because I think that part of my problem with that relationship might be that I don't get a lot of personality from Shay. She just, I mean... I like that she's strong. I like that she can hold her own. Her outfit is, I mean, they're all, like, it's a Jan Dersema outfit. They're all wearing kind of dramatic outfits. But um, I didn't get a lot of sense of personality from her outside of what she did for the plot. And I think that might be part of the problem or the disinterest that I have in the relationship. Yeah, she's very one-dimensional. Mm. Like, but a lot of the characters in this particular comic are. They're not very complex. They're very one-dimensional, and it doesn't seem like there's going to be many places to go with the characters. And so that could be why they you know, are building on the relationship aspect is because of that. Well, you guys are not going to talk me out of liking her because I like her. <laughs> no. but I don't, I don't I, mind her. I just feel pretty neutral toward her. Yeah. I think yeah. part of the reason maybe that so many of these characters seem one-dimensional is just because there are so many characters that each character almost fits a role, and then maybe they could have taken a few of these characters and mashed them into one, you know? I uh, wouldn't even necessarily say that she's one-dimensional, but she um, she needs, a, I thought she needed a little more warmth or humor or something to make her more personable. Okay. Maybe. Well, in, while we're talking about this, this actually kind of goes it goes hand in hand with um, an article that I just read recently that was actually about Princess Leia, and it was Carrie Fisher talking about it back in 1983 to the Rolling Stone, and she even acknowledged like how um, how one dimensional they made Leia at the beginning, and how in Return of the Jedi she finally was able to show some other sides to herself to be a complete woman of a character and I feel like in in this particular comic we get that a lot you know where they're just focusing on one or two aspects of a character but you're not really getting a whole person well maybe we're still early enough in the story that they're still developing 
her character and you know they'll add some dimensions to her as as the story goes on i i mean i think she she's definitely like you said the stereotypical you know strong female character but i think they've shown some vulnerability with her as well and i like what they're doing with her but obviously it's not working as well for you guys so that's you know that's why it's good that we have a lot of different types of readers a lot of different opinions because one thing that works for me doesn't work for you but that you know I think, uh, Teresa, before you got on, I had said that this comic had, for as many characters as it has, it moves very quickly, and it's a lot of adventures, a lot of action, um, broken up a little bit, but I think that that's part of why the, the characters are not as deep, because they just have so much to do, maybe? Yeah, they're always, they always seem to be doing something. There's not very yeah. many, like, conversations where they're kind of calm and discussing yeah. what's going on it's it's like everybody's always on the run yeah yeah and there were some quieter scenes between um shay and her masters or even zesh doing his angst thing at the beginning but i would have liked a little more slow down and really like sink into those characters so you guys both read the novel right into the void um mm-hmm. Did you notice the the planet Knox that they they visited in the comic? Did you re- remember that from the novel? Did it seem like they represented it the way that you you imagined it when you read the book? Um, I remembered it, but honestly, I didn't remember it well. So I pretty much thought, oh, that's cool that they're using the same uh, the same area, and then sort of just kept going. But <laughs> yeah, and I recognized it definitely. Um... I don't think anything ever, the way I imagine things ever shows up right when it's <laughs> depicted by other people, yeah. ever. So, um, but I did recognize it for sure. Yeah, I thought it looked cool, and it did actually kind of match with what I imagined. So that's always cool when you when you actually imagine the same way that the artist does. But the kind of the domed cities that had been, you know, the domes had all broken down and stuff. I thought it. I thought they did a good job of of showing that in the comics. It was yeah. actually like more run down than I had imagined, which okay. was which was interesting. I mean, you know, they uh it was cool to see it sort of taken to that to more extreme than my mind took it. So Yeah, so one of the things that was big in this story was the Force Sabers. A lot of the of what Dagan Locke was trying to do was he had this vision um of of what he believed to be himself leading this army and he thought that he was going to have this big part in the future of what happens on the, on this planet and one of the things that he saw in his vision was that he had a force saber so he's trying to fulfill that by getting a force saber so a lot of this was him using zesh to build him a force saber so he could have one the one thing that i don't like is i wish that they had waited longer to introduce the idea of what they're calling force sabers but basically it's a lightsaber to the the dawn of the jedi era i like the fact that they were just using swords and i wanted to kind of see that last but in this comic we got a number of you know face-offs with two different characters using force sabers um so that was something that i wish they had kind of held off on now it's it's such a a staple in star wars that everybody has to have a lightsaber and i kind of liked the fact that they weren't using them yet yeah no i agree i uh i 
would have liked to have seen a different progression of the Force Sabers being introduced to the story. I realize that they probably had that introduced with the, the I guess, the villain of the story because he needed to be menacing in some way, and that was their way of doing it. But I kind of would have liked to have seen the development of that, whether it had been, you know, on the you know, on the side, the light side or the dark side, I guess. Well, I don't really know what to call it, but you know what I'm saying is that either we had seen the antagonists in the story develop these things or we had seen our protagonists develop them. And just because it's got to be something that's built somehow in a certain way. And you and Aaron, you and I know, both know that I kind of like all that stuff to see how things are brought into being into the universe and I like I really like the stories about the lightsabers and how they're built and getting the crystal and all that kind of stuff so I just wish it was kind of done that way instead of just appearing it almost seemed too too easy it was kind of like hey I want you to build me a lightsaber and the guy's like all right let's just go to this planet there's some crystals and we'll build a lightsaber like it was just too too easy I thought I am in general I didn't mind that they were there I liked like, lightsabers are cool. I like that they had something to have lightsaber fights with. However, I completely agree that Dash building one was, he built that thing really fast. And it was, like, very quickly, it went from, oh, four sabers are this mysterious thing that are portrayed on paintings on the wall. And then suddenly, I think two people have them. Um, so I, I didn't mind initially... But I see where you're coming from. And at the end, they talked about... One of the masters was saying specifically, like, this Force Saber seems like a good idea, but it's you have to use the dark side to, to use it. We should try to make a version that isn't so dark. And that at that point, I my thought, I think, was just like, oh, of course they're going to call it a lightsaber. And that's how that comes about. And that was way too quick for me. But having them in the comic, I didn't mind so much. So, do you guys think that um, the fact that they made Zesh look almost exactly like young Dagon Locke, and that's kind of the explanation as to why Dagon Locke thought it was him in the vision, but really it was Zesh, do you think there's anything more to that other than just that they look alike? Or is there maybe something more to the story of maybe they're related in some way? I definitely think there's going to be something more to the story that's going to come out eventually. I think it would be very Star Wars for them to be connected in another way, for them to be related or something. Um, I, I, that wasn't my initial impression at first. So is that a good thing or a bad thing, Megan, when you say it's very Star Wars? Is it too, like, is it too Star Wars or is that what you would expect because it's Star Wars? Um... Uh, here's where, like, my nitpickiness comes in. Because I think if if Dagon Locke is Zesh's father, that's too much. Like, we've seen that before. Right. But if they're, like, if it's his uncle, if they're, like, just Fourth cousins. Related, then <laughs> I'm your fourth cousin. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 I wouldn't like if Dagon Locke was his father. But if there was some other kind of connection... That would be that would be kind of cool. I honestly, my first thought when you brought that up was they're both white guys. Like they <laughs> they can look alike without being related, but I'm I'm not sure. True. So hadn't thought too much about that. 
So at the end of the comic, we basically get the you know the foreboding that there is a major war coming. Um, so I I'm excited for where they're taking the story. I think they're doing a good job with this. There, I definitely can nitpick about certain things I don't like, but overall, I really am enjoying this series, and I hope that they can continue on with it. Uh, so we can kind of find out the fate of a lot of these characters that I'm starting to really like. Um, so for you guys, overall, wrapping this review up, do you like this series? Did you, did you like this story arc uh, specifically? We can start with you, Teresa. Um, I really, I do like the series. I don't like it as much as I did when I read it the first time. Um, I think that's probably due to the fact that there are a lot of characters to keep up with. And if I have to start writing down names of characters just to remember them, that becomes a problem. And I've actually had to do that. And I, but I, I love this era. I love seeing where everything has come from. I love the history. I love all of that. So of course I'm very interested to see what's going to happen next. I I'm just finding it a little bit hard to follow sometimes. And Megan? Um, I am enjoying it. I think that although it has elements that I personally may not love, it's a solid story. Like, it's obviously heading toward a big conclusion. Um, the part that I'm most interested in right now is the story between Dagan Locke and Hawk Rio, who I think was... It was his part of this comic was really interesting. So, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it in and general. And he now has one less human leg. Yes. <laughs> now missing a limb. But... Yeah, which they quickly, you know, it was like the very next panel, he had like a robotic leg and he was walking around. So apparently it doesn't take that long to, to learn how to walk on one of those things. No big deal. Well, his struggle is mental now. He has to find out whether he's crazy or not. Yeah. That's... That's interesting. I, I think, think he knows he's not crazy, and that's what is making him crazy. Yeah. If that makes yeah. any sense. Well, it's like in uh, this is this is interesting. It's like in um, Shatterpoint, the the most dangerous Jedi is a fully sane Jedi. Like, yeah. Hakuryo yeah. is my favorite. <laughs> and he would be he would have one less Twi'lek leg, not human leg. Oh yeah. Saying. But you know, <laughs> it's Star it's Star Wars's thing, you know. They all everybody has some sort of prosthetic. If you don't get a prosthetic something sometime in your you know, adventures, you're not a Something's true character. <laughs> That's true. That's true. All right, well, we'll wrap this up um and let's go ahead and move on to our next review, um uh, which is Star Wars in the Shadow of Yavin, which is volume 1 of the Star Wars comic series. Uh, Teresa, do you want to run down the stats for us? Sure. So the original release date was September 18th. The writer is Brian Wood, and the artist is Carlo, or Carlo, Carlos Deonda, I guess is how you would say his last name. In the timeline, it's two months after the bat Battle of Yavin, and the publisher's summary is, After de the destruction of the Death Star, the rebels are hounded by the Empire. Suspecting a spy in their ranks, Princess Leia forms a secret X-Wing squadron, which includes Luke Skywalker, to expose the spy and find a safe home. Meanwhile, Han Solo and Chewbacca are sent on a covert mission. So even that publisher summary is a little misleading, because Leia didn't really form the squad more than Mon Mothma did. Right. But I guess they're trying to keep it, you know, main characters, so people that just read the summary will get interested. Because if you said Mon Mothma, people would be like, oh, okay. 
Or some people would be like, who's that? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so this this comic series kind of came with a little bit of controversy, I guess you could say. Um, when it first was announced, it was kind of, a lot of people thought that it was going to be a little bit of a reboot of that era of Star Wars in the Expanded Universe, and a lot of Expanded Universe fans freaked out because of that. And then Dark Horse quickly, you know, explained that it wasn't going to be a reboot, but although some people still are looking at it as a little bit of a retelling of what happened right after uh, the Battle of Yavin, because that time has been covered. Um, when you guys first heard this comic series announced, did you were was there any concern with that? Or I know Teresa, you don't really get that much into worrying about that kind of stuff, but you know specifically you, Megan, did you were you worried about maybe them starting to reboot some of the EU? Um, I wasn't going to worry until I got a definite, yes, this is a reboot. When people started worrying about it, I was kind of like, I'm just going to stay back until until they tell us it's definitely a reboot. So I never really freaked out because then they told us that it wasn't and it was okay. Um, I think it's significant that they have done similar things in this era before, but I've kind of stayed out of the whole controversy around this. It didn't really bother me. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's not... This is an era that I actually really don't get that excited about. Like, mm. Han, or Luke and Han and Leia, those characters for me are now the characters that we know and love in the, the later novels. Like, that's them to me now. So, looking back at what they did in between the films and that kind of stuff really doesn't get me excited. So, going into this, I really wasn't... I was just like, okay, whatever, no big deal even if it was going to be any kind of reboot, just because I didn't, I wasn't that familiar with this, whatever had come before anyways. I think that in this era, mostly what's happened is, has happened in the Marvel comics. If yeah. I'm, so it's yeah. kind of like, those have already kind of been said to be not necessarily canon anyways. So I didn't really care if they were retelling that because I've never read the Marvel comics. And I, I think they're pretty much a lower level of canon anyways. Well, I've I have some of those Marvel comics actually because they were in um, my comic book store, and I picked them up. So I've read a few of them, not in any order really, but no. I mean, this is just stuff that I don't really get super concerned about. And Aaron, you know that about me. I'm not I'm not a stickler for continuity. I'm not a stickler for rebooting. You know and I just sort of roll with it. I read things and accept them for what they are. It's not something that I get really, really attached to. It just never has been. So reading this, I just read it from a very different place, you know, sort of separate from everything else, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I guess the other thing that, you know, was kind of a lot of people were talking about from this comic series was the whole idea of Leia being this ace pilot. And, you know, for for some reason that really bothered people. Some people it didn't bother, but some people it did. Even people that were fans of Leia were kind of like, uh, is she really supposed to be an X-Wing pilot? Or, you know, isn't she supposed to be kind of more a politician? That type of thing. How did you, where did you guys fall on that? Did you, did it even matter to you at all? Did you think that her characterization was correct? 
you know, they had a scene where she shoots down or she, she crash lands on a planet and then she basically goes and shoots the pilot of a TIE fighter, I would say in cold blood, but just takes him out. Um, is that in line with what you thought of the character of Leia? Did you think that she was well represented in this comic? It was interesting to me watching the controversy because I I'm pretty neutral about Leia. She was not one of my favorite characters. I didn't mind her, just like neutral. Um, and then I heard this whole thing about she's an X-wing pilot, and it really divided people. And I I can see both sides of the argument. I can see people saying that is not a skill that it's in character for her to have, and I can see the people saying. It's not a problem to give a character, especially a female character, more talents. It's, like, good that she's strong and she knows what she's doing. So, and I hadn't really, I like, I thought a lot about it, but I still didn't really have an opinion, which is weird for me. Um, so I was, that's one of the things I was looking for when I went into this comic. Like, am I going to finally have an opinion? And um, that I... I would have liked her to have more, to do more politicking, which we got in Razor's Edge a little bit. Um, but I didn't mind that she was a pilot because she wasn't an ace pilot. One time she crashed. Um, at the end, when she does her big battle, she ends up in a back-to-tank afterward. Like, she's not, um, she's not preternaturally skilled She's skilled enough that I can believe, yeah, this is Anakin Skywalker's daughter, and she'd have some of that talent that Luke had, but it didn't, it certainly didn't come across as too much to me. I think it, I think how they portrayed her, in terms of her X-Wing skills, we could talk about other things, but in terms of her X-Wing skills, I didn't mind how they portrayed her at all. And I actually fall right along with Megan on that. I like the fact that they gave her this other talent, something else that she can do. You know, Leia is one of the characters that has so much going on with her at any given time that she can do pretty much anything. And if you think about how amazing Luke is as a character being Anakin Skywalker's son, why wouldn't Leia be in the same boat and have multiple things that she can be good at and multiple avenues to where she would be able to excel. And I actually think it does fit her character that she would know a little bit about piloting an X-Wing considering in the movies we see her directing these pilots and, you know, running missions. And she she does it with a knowledge that the only way she would be able to do that is having put herself in that situation before. That's a good point. So I'm really hoping that in that we get some of that development in, and I don't know if we will, but some of the development of that in Rebels, because we've got to get to the point to where she is, you know, when she meets Darth Vader, you know? She had to have gotten there. How did she get there? I mean, I don't know if she'll even be in the in the show, but it would be interesting to find out. Yeah. I wouldn't bank on it. No, probably but. not. But, you know, but, <laughs> but I mean, it it's be just like, it's in that time frame, right? You know, and they're going to be talking about the development of the Rebellion and all that kind of stuff. And, of course, we don't know when that's going to take place, and this has nothing to do with the comic, so I'm just going to stop. But that's right. we I think it a, works. We went on a Legend of Korra rant when you weren't here, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it worked, and, you know, more power to her. Okay, well, my take on it, 
and it this has nothing to do with the fact that I don't think she should be able to fly an X-Wing or that she should have that skill or that she's a woman. For me, I didn't necessarily like seeing her in the cockpit of an X-Wing because of the danger that it was putting her in and because of how important she is to the rebellion, the cause of the rebellion. That was where I had an issue with it because I thought, and even Mon Mothma says it in the comic, how important she is to the future of the rebellion. And in my mind, it's like, well, if you're going to have this this team that you're sending out on these dangerous missions, why are you sending one of the most important people to the rebellion out? That's like why, like that would be like if we sent the general, you know, for at war and we put him in the front lines. Like to me, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, but I mean, think about this. You know, kings in kingdoms yeah, used to ride out. You know, I knew you were going to say that. But and then also. <laughs> Leia as a character, she wouldn't just sit back and say, okay, y'all just go do all of this, especially if she's young, like, you know, in that, not sort of in that time frame, you know, she wouldn't just say, y'all go do all this stuff and have someone tell her, well, you can't go because you're too important. And she'd be like, up yours, I'm going anyway. Yeah. (laughs) But they never established that, that for her because we've seen two movies with her with the opportunity that she could have been a part of these battles, and she was always behind the scenes. She was always the planner, but she never jumped into a cockpit. I guess so, in my in in my own Star Wars um, canon and imagination, she did. She did. Yeah, she was <laughs> she was off screen. She's actually the one that shot those protests. Seriously. <laughs> but, yeah. So I didn't have a huge problem with it. It was kind of just for me. That was the that was the only problem I had with it. I thought it was cool that she had that opportunity, but. You know, two different times in the comic, she is shot down, and, you know, at the end, she ends up almost dying. So it was kind of like, are we really, should we really be putting somebody in this kind of danger that is that important? So that was that was the only thing I had with it. Maybe that's why she isn't in an X-Wing in yeah. Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay, you know. have had enough. And I said that she's Anakin Skywalker's daughter, but you know what? Actually, she's Padme's daughter. Padme does stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Padme's more like that, so... True, true. Maybe and I she's think taking she's... after her mom. Right. I'm not... Yeah. So, that's that's all <laughs> I... That's all I had to say about it. That's it. Nothing to do with if she's a girl or whatever. It has nothing to do with it. It's more that she's important. I think I would be, like... I would agree with you if it was Mon Mothma in the X-Wing. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I can't even... <laughs> I cannot even see that being actually happening. <laughs> like, Leia's still, to me anyway, but she's still a frontline soldier. Like, she's one of the best of the frontline soldiers, but she's still. It, yeah. it didn't, um, I wasn't concerned for her safety. Until, of course, she repeatedly she, crashed her. Until she was, like, bleeding out of her out of her gut yeah. at the end. I was like, holy cow. Then, is... then I was a little concerned. Yeah, but that's all right. In the Star Wars universe, you just throw somebody in a back to tank, and they're fine. They're good to go. As <laughs> long as you can of, get them to it before they die. And I think they sort of did have to show her making mistakes so that she didn't become the all-powerful, perfect action girl that half the debaters were worried about. So I think I thought it struck a good balance. But. Well, as far as characterization goes... I thought that the the writing was pretty good overall with character, you know, the characterization of other main characters like Han Solo. You know, I guess if you can have any characterization of Chewbacca, they did pretty good with that. Yeah. But 
I did see a little bit of a problem with the way that they characterized Luke. I felt like he was a little too confident um, and a little too much of a ladies' man with the whole thing with that that part where he like saves the girl and then they like ride together in the cockpit and she's like flirting with them and <laughs> I just thought okay this is you know Luke is supposed to be kind of the the more laid back like gentleman like that's more of a Han Solo move and so like I thought a little bit that that was a little out of character for him yeah. um, did you guys notice that at all I, did. I completely agree um, yep. yeah I was okay. distracted from oh sorry no, I was just saying, okay, we all agree on that. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I was distracted from thinking about Leia's characterization because I did not like Luke's characterization. Um, he wasn't, he didn't have any of the sort of, like, wide-eyed amazement that he had in the movie. Um, yeah, I, I thought that it was strange that he jumped into that relationship with uh, the Chalactin, uh Prithi. Yeah. The one scene that I did think that was very Luke, though, was the very end when they have, uh, they show the scene of Leia and she's in the back to tank and then you kind of see, you know, she's recovering and then you see Luke, you know, he's fallen asleep in like the hospital room in the chair with like his jacket over top of him and I was like, okay, that's, that's Luke Skywalker, you know, he's, he's worried about her, he's the kind of friend that would fall asleep at the hospital, you know, waiting for you to wake up, so they got, they got that right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's that makes Luke an attractive character is the fact that he is so wide-eyed and sort of innocent and goofy, you know? That's one of the things about his character that I think a lot of people really like. So, I also didn't like the artwork for Luke. The other characters didn't bother me, but I didn't like his... Yeah, he didn't really look the like look himself. of him. Yeah. yeah. Which I would say the same thing for Leia. I didn't think she really looked like herself either. Um, Which she didn't, but she was still um, she was still done well. I think. Yeah, it was a it was recognizable as her, but I felt like they took some liberties with the way her face looked. They almost it was almost like they thinned her down a little bit. Like um, Carrie Fisher kind of has a very rounded look uh, to her cheeks, and this character was much thinner. She almost looked more like Padme than she did like Leia, in my opinion. <laughs> but the artwork overall, I liked. I thought the artist was very talented. Like. Um, I just, some of the faces just didn't match quite for me. I thought that Han was the best in terms yeah. of faces. Um, there were a couple panels where I thought, like, yeah, that looks like Harrison Ford, or he had some really good expressions. But I agree, the twins were a little off-model off sometimes. So do you guys like the space battles in the comics? I've, I found myself kind of bored with that side of the comic story. Um you know, watching the space battles happen through the different panels. Um, I kind of want to just kind of skip past that stuff. I'm the same way. I would rather watch a space battle on a movie screen. Yeah. Rather than just going, ship, 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 explosion. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think um, scenes like that are where dogfight scenes work well in movies. It showed the weakness of the comic form in those scenes specifically. Um, I enjoyed them. I like dogfights. I love X-Wings. But um, sometimes I was a little confused about what was going on in the sequence of events. And that's where I really wished, like, um, I wish I was seeing this moving. Yeah, to completely agree. There was definitely some confusion as to what was happening with some of the maneuvers they were doing. There was, there was a couple different moments in the comic where 
we were supposed to believe that they came up with these genius maneuvers where they like killed 11 TIE fighters at once. And I had completely lost track of how they even did it. And I was like, okay, what, what just happened? You know, and then there, there was another scene where they took out, you know, uh, one of the Star Destroyers, kind of a similar, you know, trickery type thing. And I, I really completely lost what happened just because it's hard to follow that kind of action in comics. It was hard to backtrack through what their strategy had been. Right. I think in scenes like that, that's when a comic needs to insert a flip book, you know, <laughs> and they flip through it and it, it goes. <laughs> that would be an interesting concept, yeah. <laughs> it would be easier. But yeah, was... your comic comes with, like, three flip books, and in one panel it says, at, like, reference flip book number one, and then you go, and you flip through it. Oh, cool. Okay, next page. <laughs> This, is an, I, this is an idea, Teresa. You could <laughs> you could run with this. You need to patent it before somebody hears this. Nobody would buy it. <laughs> <laughs> and the business already fails. But it was kind of cool to see. I don't get that excited about X-Wings and X-Wing pilots. Anyone that's listened to this podcast probably has heard me say that before. But I do like Wedge and Tilly's. Uh, so it was kind of cool to see him in the comic, even though he didn't really do that much. It was just kind of cool to see him be a part of it. Yeah, I I have a question for you guys though. Were y'all surprised that there was a Boba Fett sighting? Not at all. <laughs> Just because, um, I, I mean, they're gonna throw Boba Fett into whatever they can throw him into. Just because he's such a popular character, um, and I don't think he was necessary. It was kind of a pointless cameo. I think he's never necessary. No, he's never necessary. He's just always. It's always. I mean, I'm a Boba Fett fan, so naturally I'm like, sweet. Yeah, right, exactly. And I think that that was the whole reason they put him in there, because they know that that's the reaction that most people will have. So it was fine with me. I'm, I'm as well, I'm a, a pretty big Boba Fett fan, so I was okay with it. I thought it kind of came out of nowhere. Like, at this point in the EU, it seems like Han can't, like, you know, go to a garage sale without Boba Fett popping up. But, um... <laughs> I didn't. I didn't mind it. It seemed kind of random, but it was. It made for a cool action scene, I guess. Yeah. Boba Fett's becoming like the Where's Waldo of the Star Wars universe. <laughs> he's definitely overused. <laughs> he's definitely overused. I will not deny that, but I do like the character and some of the stuff that when they do him well, I really enjoy it. But things like this, where they kind of just throw him in to throw him in, eh, I can understand why a lot of people get tired of it. He will live on forever True. and ever and ever. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he shows up in the new movie, <laughs> then that's going to definitely be a... There's going to be a lot of people not... I mean, there's gonna, it's going to be one of those things where... I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if they announce that Boba Fett will be in one of the new films, you're going to have like half of fandom just foaming at the mouth excited, and then you're going to have half of fandom foaming at the mouth angry. So yeah, people are just gonna leave. Yeah. If, uh, yeah. But hopefully, hopefully it won't be enough to to have people not want to watch the film. He's not that bad of a character. No. But He's a good character. You know. Depends I mean, on who and you look, ask. We look, if you look at it this way, though, the films and the EU are two separate things. Yeah. So if he's in the film. You just need to erase the fact that you've read five million books and stories about him because in the films, he really wasn't in there that much. So right. and he I has think every that, right to be there. I think that's a lot of the problem people have with him because in the films, he is not very 
a great character. He's kind of lame. He dies lame. And then all of a sudden in the books, he's like this amazing, can't do anything wrong character. And I think that's a lot of, a lot of people have a problem with, you know, why are we making this guy into such a great character when in the films, which everything is based off of, he was lame. And I think that's, you know, where a lot of this, I wouldn't call it hate, but close to hate for Boba Fett stems from. Yeah, but you could argue the same thing about Darth Maul. I mean, yeah, he had a cool fight scene, but, I mean, he got cut in half. Yeah, and a lot of people... And then he comes back as a crazy spider, and then he, his mind's all, you know, wacko and then he comes back and he gets legs and now he's awesome and then you know nothing ever happens i was gonna say that too um when people talk about what they're the pros or cons of boba fett a lot of times i think it's similar to how people talk about darth maul that um but boba fett has saturated the eu and he's all over the place whereas darth maul has like two novels and a young adult novel. So I think that it might be oversaturation. But But I think um, part of that is due to the fact that, Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the era that Darth Maul was in sort of off limits to people for a long time? You know, so even after The Phantom Menace came out, that was off limits, so he couldn't have been written about anyway. That's true. Yeah. And so, I think they did focus on him a lot during the, the hype up to The Phantom Menace, but then when the character died, it kind of was like, okay, well, we really can't do much more with him, whereas they resurrected Boba Fett pretty quickly into in the EU, and once he was resurrected, he was like, you know, we can do anything with him. Um, they waited a while to resurrect Darth Maul. Now that he is resurrected, though, um, and we just got a new novel with him, I think we might see more of him. Maul's going to become the new Boba Fett. Watch. But who knows? There might still be kind of a a thing out there where they say we can't touch that character right now because of how the Clone Wars ended. And now he's basically, you know, he's been captured by Sidious and Sidious says he has plans for him. And then there's all this mystery and it's like, well, are we going to ever find out? Because that happened in the Clone Wars and Lucas was still involved at that point. Lucas may have said, hey, I don't want you guys touching this character anymore. So we might never find out what happened with him. Maybe. With... Or, we'll you know, he'll we be a... released in the next holiday special. Yeah, we have a new novel of him coming out, so, you know, they're still making stuff about him. And at this point, I can say that I wouldn't mind if he becomes the next Boba Fett and shows up in everything, but I'm also biased in that direction. Wow. So am I. You guys, you guys are going to fight over... Of uh, Darth Maul here. We're yeah. gonna fight over two we two agree. girls with crushes on Darth Maul on the same podcast. True. <laughs> it's like who's had a crush on him longer? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we won't go too much further down that road. Um, back to like somehow we just completely got off <laughs> off topic. How about um, Legend of Korra? Yeah, Legend. Yeah, what do you guys think about that? Too much teen teen angst. Um. So, back to this. What else is there to talk about in this story? Um, I didn't think the story was that complex. There wasn't a lot to it. A lot of space battles. A lot of dialogue. Like, it took me forever to read this comic. Where, like, some comics I can pick up a volume. You know, it's, there's five issues in the volume. And I can read through it pretty quick. This one took me a while because all the, the little bubbles with the words in it, just there was so many words. 
you know, they just kept talking. Um, so I didn't really like that side of it. I felt like it was maybe too much of that going on in the story. There wasn't a lot to the story. Um, was there anything else in the comic that you guys that stuck out to you guys that you wanted to talk about? Um, I kind of felt the same way about that. I mean, one thing I like about comics for, is that they can be really quick reads. And when they take a long time, I just sort of go, why isn't this just in a book? Yeah, right. Why don't you just make this a novel? Put this in a picture book. Like, you put a picture up, and then you have a paragraph. Or, like, that second half of the page, and then a picture, and then... <laughs> I, I didn't mind the, the words so much. I do tend to like words. I think my my biggest issue with this comic was Luke. I was not pleased with the direction they took him. But it, the, the story as a whole was very episodic. Like, it was, like, big battle little conversations big battle little conversations um it, it flowed that way so so are you guys interested is this a comic series that you're like eagerly waiting the next issues or is it kind of like okay i'll wait till it comes out and do a review because that's what we do on our podcast but are you excited to continue to follow this story i wouldn't say that i'm eagerly awaiting it because I have other stuff I want to read. Ewoks. Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that one. I know. It's so exciting. And, um, but I mean, it, of course I'm going to read it. I'm just not. So you're not. Foaming at the mouth to have to okay, go so buy it. <laughs> did you guys, we'll just make it simple. Did you guys like this, this uh, comic volume? Liked it. Everybody should give it a chance. And if you don't like the first, you know, don't do the volume by the, like the first like issue. And if you don't like that, then don't read anymore. Yeah, I, I give it a tentative yes. Um, if you really like Leia, if you really like space battles, it's a well done comic. The art is good, um, but it wasn't the best thing in the world. I'm not foaming at the mouth for the next one. Yeah, I'm kind of with you guys on this one. I. I did enjoy elements of it. It was, the art was really good. Um, there was some fun things that happened. You know, I love the scene where Chewbacca is like leaning out of the top of the the Millennium Falcon and literally <laughs> takes out a Tie Fighter with his bowcaster. <laughs> like, you know, ridiculous but still awesome. So there was cool moments like that. Overall, I enjoyed it and I will continue to follow it. And I think I would even if I wasn't reviewing it. Um, but there was enough about it that I didn't. Like, I'm kind of with you guys. I wasn't super excited, you know, for it or think it was the best thing I've ever read. It was just kind of middle of the road. Okay, that's a Star Wars story, but nothing to get too excited about. That's because you want to read about Ewoks. <laughs> Ewoks are coming up. I don't know. When are we? Are we reviewing that? That's probably a couple months out, though. We are reviewing it, and we're reviewing it in next month. In December. Yeah. All right. Well... I think we have uh, spent enough time talking about this comic, and I think we're ready to end the show. So, Megan, where can people find you? People can find me at blogfullofwords.blogspot.com or Twitter, which is at blogfullofwords. And do you have anything that you want to plug, articles that you've written, things you'd like people to go and read? Um, in the next couple weeks, I'm going to get back on a 
attempt at a pretty serious reread of the New Jedi Order. And to start that off, I have an article about the Yusan Bong and how they could be used in the expanded universe. So that's my newest story right now. So check that out if you're into that era. And I do not know how you guys can do rereads. Like, I barely can find enough time to read these things once. <laughs> I started this reread quote, like, a month ago. So it's not going very fast right now. Um, I would love to try. I would love to reread The New Jedi Order. That's that's something that I enjoyed it the first time around. I'd, I'd love to go back through it. And I know, Teresa, that's one. I'd love to actually read it. Haven't read yet. So <laughs> maybe you should you you can start a book club with Megan and you can read The New Jedi Order with her. Let's I keep do it. saying I keep saying this like there's no reason I should be hosting a book podcast. <laughs> I haven't read everything that everybody else has read. But again, I got stuck in the beginning. It's a, you don't have to explain yourself. You. I feel like I do. Uh, I really you, do. You're reading I the just, stuff as it comes out. You have a, a good perspective because you don't have all the, the built up, you know, junk that the rest of us EU fans have. You know, you you kind of have a more fresh perspective. So, I think it's good. And then we always have a guest on like Megan who can fill in, you know, all the, the the knowledge because she's read a ton more stuff than probably both of us have. <laughs> I I stopped reading. A chunk of things. I don't know anything about legacy of the Force, so <laughs> I don't know everything. But. Okay. <laughs> so, well. Megan, we'll have to talk about this more in depth. Yes, I would like that. Cool. Okay. So <laughs> let's see. On our next episode, we're going to be reviewing the novel *Empire and Rebellion: Razor's Edge*. I'd rather just call it *Razor's Edge*. Um, so we're going to be reviewing Razor's Edge and the comic volume Dark Times Fire Carrier. We may even slip in a review of the reference book of the Bounty Hunter Code, and that all depends on if we can wrangle up some copies. So I'm going to be trying to get that, Aaron. I don't know if you are, but... Um, It'll probably depend on how much it costs. Um, True. That's not one that I get a preview copy of, so we'll see. Dan Wallace, if you're out there, we want books. Yeah, Mr. Wallace, if you could arrange <laughs> that. But yeah, Mr. Wallace, we would really like to review your book, The Bounty Hunter Code. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I would love to. I hope maybe that I don't know if they're gonna have an ebook version of it. Maybe I could probably grab that, but. If I really, can... I love these books. You know that. You know I love the Jedi Path and Book of Sith and everything. So I have to get it. So it's a matter of when. Anyway, start reading those now so you can listen to them on our next episode. If you want to reach us on Twitter, we are at SWBookworms. We always encourage our listeners to send us emails uh, with your comments about the things we've reviewed, things you'd like to hear us review if you have any questions for us, such as the question they were talking about earlier that I missed out on. Um, StarWarsBookworms at gmail.com. Go over to Facebook, search for Star Wars Bookworms, give us a like on there. Aaron, do you know where we're at? We're oh, just past 500, so we're like 503. Yay. All right, we passed 500, so that's awesome. But go over there, join, join the community. We post a lot of stuff on there, comic book um, news and novel news. If you want to reach me on Twitter, I'm at IceColdPenguin. And Aaron? I'm at A.V. Goins. And as always... May the Force be with you. So, Teresa, since you missed that question earlier, 
about what was your first EU book or what was your first exposure to the EU. Bonus content. Bonus content. I love bonus content. Um, so my first, I'm surprised you don't know this. I might, but I, I just uh, tell, what, the, tell the listeners. Your, what's your guess? What your first thing is? Yeah. What my first, my entrance into the EU. Was it Darth Bane? Yeah, you knew it. You knew it. See, I but listen. I listen. You, you do listen. Um, it was Darth Bane, and um, well, and then after that, after I read the Darth Bane books, I read um, the Darth Maul book because I didn't know that it existed until after Darth Bane, and and then I got stuck in the <laughs> in the timeline because my story is that I all. I wanted to read them in order. That was my grand scheme. And I started reading, and then that was around the time they started releasing more in the Old Republic era. And so I never got past, like, a couple of books right after The Phantom Menace. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, now there's yeah. more. Let me go back. And then they've continued to do so. I actually have a question for for both of you that we can uh, more bonus content. Um, so this is going to catch you guys off guard. So what do you consider to be the most underrated thing about Star Wars and go? The Jedi Academy series. (laughs) 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 I'm a big proponent for the Kevin J. Anderson Jedi Academy series. I understand its flaws. Some things about it are ridiculous, but I love it. Huh. I agree with you. I I love that series too, but... (laughs) I read those, that's some of the earliest stuff that I read, so, you know, I haven't ever gone back and reread them, but I think they're so important in establishing, you know, where the expanded universe went, and a lot of the characters that were established in there, you know, are still important, so. Yeah. You can't take her answer, I, I just said I agreed with her. <laughs> I know, you know, you have to have your own. I don't know. Underrated? I mean, I like a lot of stuff people don't like. Like I was saying earlier, I really like the novel Courtship of Princess Leia. Like, a lot of people hate that. Uh, the Kevin J. Anderson stuff. Dark Empire. I love Dark Empire. The comics. Um, they're kind of ridiculous. You know, the art is really weird, but I just really like them. Um, so I think there's a lot of stuff that's underrated. A lot of stuff people make fun of or a lot of stuff people, you know, pan that is actually really good. I think it just depends on your tastes. Um, and I think a lot of times people just, they'll just listen to whatever people criticize. So it's like if enough people criticize something like Dark Empire, even if it's a small, loud minority, um, everyone else just assumes that it's junk and they don't go read it because of that. So sometimes I wish people would take it easy on some of this stuff. Yeah, take it easy, people. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all.